Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. And so we make our confession to God and hear his words of forgiveness. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven and to bring us to eternal life. We say together, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, Forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and keep you in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, you show to those who are in error the light of your truth, that they may return to the way of righteousness. Grant to all those who are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's religion, that they may reject those things that are contrary to their profession, and follow all such things as are agreeable to the same. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The first reading is from Genesis chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. When Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. 
The Gospel reading is from Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Human beings are natural storytellers. We tell stories about where we've been, what we've done, who we've met and how we felt about it all. We tell stories about what happened today. The traffic was horrendous on the way here. That's a story, albeit a short and not very interesting one. And we tell stories about what happened long ago. Do you know, just after that photo was taken, I took a step back and fell in the duck pond. We tell stories about things that never happened at all, too. Made-up stories, legends, jokes, lies. In a way, though, even our factual stories are made up because we can't tell everything in all its detail. It would take too long. So we shape our stories. We select the bits we think will get our point across best. The horrendous traffic explains why we're late. The childhood reminiscence conveys something about who we are and how we feel about ourselves. Sometimes people belittle stories. It's just a story, they say. But stories are powerful. Witness the effect of the ITV drama Mr Bates vs the Post Office. The facts of the Horizon software scandal and the wrongful convictions of those who'd had to use it were already in the public domain, but it was only after the story had been told that it took hold of the public imagination and things really started to change. Stories matter. But they aren't straightforward collections of facts. They're shaped by the teller and the hearers, by where and when and why they're told. That's why biblical scholars spend so much time and energy trying to pin down the context of Bible stories. Who was the author? Who were they writing for? When was it written? What might the original agenda have been? Today's readings are a case in point. The Old Testament story of Abraham, the founding father of the Jewish people, was first written down in the form we have it today while those people were in exile in Babylon. Jerusalem had been destroyed and the exiles didn't think they'd ever go home. They thought it was all over for them as a nation. How could they recover from this? 
So the writer of the book of Genesis took some stories, those stories about Abraham that had been circulating orally for centuries, and told them afresh so that people could hear God's voice speaking through them into their own time. You may think, he's saying through his story, that your situation is hopeless, that there's no way back from this cataclysm that we've suffered, that we're too few in number to survive as a people. But listen to this story, the story of a very old, childless man trekking across the desert with his almost equally old, childless wife, on a promise from God that he would become the father of a multitude. How hopeless was that? And yet, here we are, his descendants. We're only here at all, lamenting what we've lost in Babylon, because of the faithfulness of God to that old man and woman, and their trust in him. We are the promised multitude that came from them. And if God could bring so much into being through one man and woman, why should we assume it's all over for us? That's what this Old Testament storyteller wanted his hearers to grasp. And just as we've put ourselves in their shoes to understand the story of Abraham, we need to do the same to hear the message of the Gospel story too. Mark's Gospel was written between about 65 and 75 AD. Like the other Gospels, it was written for the scattered groups of people across the Mediterranean who made up the early church, few in number and people who were living through times of great hardship. The Emperor Nero, who died in 68 AD, had just brutally executed many Christians, probably including St Peter and Paul, prominent leaders in the church. And Nero's successor, Vespasian, destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70 and exiled its inhabitants all over again, both Jewish and Christian. So if you'd been one of those early Christians, with all this going on around you, you'd surely be forgiven for wondering what hope this new movement had of surviving, never mind changing the world. We all want a bit of encouragement now and then to feel we're on the right lines. We want some signs of success to keep us going. But everything around them screamed failure in worldly terms. So Mark, through his stories, called his community back to where it all started, to the ministry of Jesus. Forty years or so had passed since the crucifixion by this time, but stories told about Jesus by eyewitnesses had circulated orally ever since then, and Mark drew on these for his gospel. If you feel hopeless, he's saying here, just imagine how Jesus' first friends felt when they saw him die on the cross, the death of an outcast criminal, surely a sign of failure and disgrace. Listen to this story. Jesus warned them that he would be killed. Of course he would, because what he said and did brought him into conflict with the powers that ruled his land. But they couldn't get their heads around it any more than we can get our heads around what's happening to Christians around us and what might happen to us too. Even Peter, the great Peter, our first leader, he couldn't believe that a painful, humiliating death could possibly be God's plan for his Messiah, no matter how hard Jesus tried to persuade him. And yes, back then Jesus did talk about resurrection, but who was going to believe that? 
And yet it all happened, just as he'd said. The eyewitnesses have told us about it. Jesus rose. And even sceptical old Peter was so convinced of it that he was willing to stake his own life on it too. That was Mark's message. The stories of the Bible aren't reportage or history in the modern sense. They're not simply a record of what happened. They're expressions of the living faith of their tellers. They're intended to encourage a living faith in their hearers. They're told to help people look back and remember God's presence with them in the past so that they can open their eyes to the possibility that he's with them in the present and will be with them in the future too, however bleak things look. And the stories that Mark and that Old Testament storyteller told, they worked. The exiles returned, and that tiny, battered, early Christian church wasn't wiped out by the wrath of Rome. It survived and grew and spread to an extent that Mark's hearers could never have imagined. We've often failed to live up to our calling, but God has never stopped calling us. Whatever else has changed, our circumstances, the world around us, God has not changed. As God said to Abraham, his covenant, his promise of love, is everlasting. And that's a message which is just as necessary for us as it was for those who first heard those ancient stories. We're confronted daily with situations that seem hopeless, humanly speaking. Climate change, war, the rise of extremism and conspiracy theories, the breakdown of common humanity as well as the personal challenges which shake our confidence and drag us down. Our readings today, though, call us to look back, not just to Abraham and to Peter, but closer in time to our own story. They call us to look for the presence of God in what we've been through, to remember the blessings as well as the disappointments, to acknowledge the love that surrounded us, and the moments when we've been drawn beyond ourselves into the wonder of God. When we are swamped by the human things which lead us to despair, as we all will be sometimes, God calls us to look for the divine things, the golden thread of his love, which was, and is, and will be forever. Amen. And so we pray together in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Christ give you grace to grow in holiness, to deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow him. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen.